Thank you for listening to this message from Lifehouse Church. Good morning, Lifehouse. It's Palm Sunday. Come on, get that palm branch out. Just wave it at me a little bit. Fan your neighbors for a second. They look a little warm. Yeah, yeah, it's Palm Sunday. Thank you. Um, we always, it's always good to put something in somebody's hand, right? A little reminder of what the day's all about. Can we pray? I just want to start this message off praying, um, shifting gears in our hearts and in our minds to just really to get into the Word of God. Father, we thank you for this day, for your glory, for your honor. Um, Lord, we come, and Lord, we just praise you. We give you glory. I thank you, Lord, for your presence that we felt so strong this morning. And Lord God, just continue to work in our hearts. God, I know you're already speaking and ministering to people, and Lord, just continue today, Lord, during the rest of this gathering. And Lord God, as we go out this week, um, Lord, in the highways and the hedges and God to our places of employment, God, I just pray that you just move. And Lord, that we would apply everything that's spoken um, through your word to us, God, in our week. And we just give you glory and praise. And everybody said together, amen. amen, amen. Hey, got a question for you. How many heard the wind last night? Yeah, how many got how many got shaken, rattled, and rolled just a little bit? We live up on a hill, just a little bit of a knob, and man, it was just blowing. We heard things shaking a little bit, and, and I got about an hour in. How many know when you get about an hour into sleep? I don't know. I haven't. I didn't look this up, but I, I call it that's when the REM sleep starts, right? You're serious into, into some sleep, and, and about an hour in, I don't know what got knocked over. I can't. I cannot confirm whether it was inside, outside, what happened. But did you ever hear one of those things where it just went boom? In the middle of the night, and you just hop out of bed, right? You're just like, huh, right? Heart rate goes up, adrenaline starts pumping, and you're like, what's going on? Oh, somebody in the house? Or oh, the outside of the house? I mean, does anybody else's brain go like that when you get up like that? Like, you get, yeah, my brain's going 100 miles an hour, and, and then I couldn't go back to sleep. <laughs> it was nothing, right? It was just the wind. I couldn't get back to sleep. Uh, but it was a storm yesterday, and it was interesting because it was beautiful weather, and as the evening came, I watched as the clouds kind of swirled, and the wind picked up, and there was this storm that was moving in, and, and, and it was a storm, but it wasn't the perfect storm. Well, we're going into John chapter 12 today, and the perfect storm begins to take place that is going to lead up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 12. We're going to go to verse 12, and where this picks up, this particular portion of Scripture picks up, is that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. He's with his man, he's with his followers, and he's heading to Jerusalem, but he's going to go, he's going to get a detour, he's going to plan a little detour going to Jerusalem. He goes on the southeast side, and he hits a little town called Bethany, say Bethany, all right? About two miles outside of Jerusalem, he goes to Bethany, and he goes there for a very specific reason, because he's got friends there. You all do this, right? Sometimes you sidetrack, go see some friends, and he's going to Bethany because Lazarus is there, Martha is there, and Mary are there. They're a family, and Jesus has a special relationship with his family, with Lazarus in particular, because uh, of something that took place previous to this. Jesus and Lazarus were friends, and Jesus um, got a call from Lazarus' sisters and said that he was sick, and it ends up that Lazarus dies, and he's four days dead. Okay, how many know that's expired, Right? You're done, all right? Four days, you're not breathing, you're dead. All right, you got not four minutes, four days. He's four days dead, and he's in the tomb, and Jesus shows up 
uh, to where he's at. And he tells him to roll the stone away from the tomb. And, and everybody's kind of wondering what's going on. Now, you got to think about this for a second, right? That's kind of like approximately like telling somebody to dig the grave back up and flip the coffin open, right? That's what he did. And he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And Lazarus comes forth in his grave clothes, right? He walks out. So there's this special connection between Lazarus and Jesus. I know there would be a special connection if somebody raised me from the dead, right? That would be a special thing. Not many people get to say that, right? There's this special connection. So he's going to see them. And all of Bethany hears about this. And all of Jerusalem hears about it. There, there's noise and there's talk and there's chatter about Lazarus, a man coming back to to life. And everybody's really kind of talking about this for different reasons. See, the Jews in Bethany and the Jews in Jerusalem, they're all talking about this because they hear about this man, Jesus, and the man who has the power to call somebody back from the dead. He didn't have a defibrillator. He called him out of the grave, right? Four days gone. And he calls him out. And they're thinking in their minds, this might be the Messiah. This might be the leader that we've been waiting for. This might be the one who leads us and crushes Rome because Rome was crushing them. And, and they're thinking this. So there's a stir going on in the community. And, and there's people, the Jews are wondering, is this the one? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one that's been prophesied about for so long? The one we've been waiting on, right? And in Jerusalem, just two miles away, the chief priests and the Pharisees, the, the hypocritical right? Corrupt religious leaders that were in Jerusalem, they're plotting and scheming. They are convinced that Jesus is a heretic. They're convinced that he is, he, they're convinced he's demon-possessed. They even say that at one point. They accuse him of that. And, and they're convinced of this. And they're not only upset about the whole thing, but they're literally, they feel like it's their job to get Jesus out of the way. And what I mean by out of the way, they mean out of the way. Right? They're plotting his death. They're plotting Lazarus's death. This is all stirring. This is all happening. And the Romans who are in power, they're watching it all. Because they don't want an uprising of any kind. They don't want the Jews getting in an uproar. They don't want the Pharisees and the scribes. And they're watching the whole thing. They're keeping an eye because they're, they rule. They reign. And they will crush any kind of uprising. This is all taking place. And Jesus is heading that direction, and he stops in Bethany. And while he's at Bethany, for just a little while, he's in the company of friends. He's in a home that he's familiar with. He's with people that love him, and he loves them. And he's sitting at the table. The Word of God says he's sitting at the table. He's talking with Lazarus. They're having food. How many know that's a good thing to do? Amen? Y'all going to do that about lunchtime today. Don't be thinking about that right now, all right? You're going, right there, he's sitting and he's eating with Lazarus. And Martha, I don't know if you know anything about Martha, but how many know there's somebody that's always taking care of business, right? How many of you take care of business? Raise your hand. You're the one who takes care of business. Martha was always taking care of business. She's feeding everybody. There's only like four of you in the house are taking care of business. The rest of us just sitting, feed me, right? Okay? Martha, Martha, she's running around. She's looking, she's making sure everything's prepped. She's making sure the food's done. She's making sure the table's set. And then there's Mary, the other sister, who's not worried about that at all. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. And she walks in, and, and you can see this. Now, I need you to get a hold of this in your head and in your spirit. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, and she breaks open a, a vessel of oil, a very costly vessel of oil. It was spike nard and nard. It was about a little, an average man's wages would have taken a year to pay for this ointment. And she pours it on Jesus' feet. 
And in an act of humility, sitting at his feet, she takes her hair and she wipes it off with her hair. How many know that's humility, right? That's humbleness. All this is taking place. And while she's doing this, one of Jesus' disciples who's going to betray him, Judas, he's complaining about the whole thing. He says, well, we could have sold that and given the money to the poor. But the reality is, A, he's a traitor, and B, he's a thief. <laughs> and he wanted to skim the money, right? There's a lot happening. There's a lot stirring. And Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. He's about to pay for all of mankind's sin. And all this activity is swirling around him, all kind of crazy. And the next day, it gets even a little bit crazier. That's where we pick up in th- verse 12. John chapter 12, verse 12 says this, then the next day, say the next day, right? A multitude had come to the feast, and when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, all this is taking place, right? They took palm branches, grab your palm branch, I won't make you shake it or anything anymore, but he took, they took palm branches uh, from the trees, and they went out to meet him, and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, uh, the king of Israel. They began to lay the palm branches in the street. They began to throw their coats down. That was a sign of a king coming into the city, right? Then Jesus went, and he found a young donkey, sat on it as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming out, sitting on a donkey's coat. This is prophecy being fulfilled. And his disciples did not understand these things at first. They're kind of confused about everything that's going on. There's things happening. They know what's going on all around, but it's not making any sense, right? And when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they had heard that he had done this sign. And the Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you're accomplishing nothing? Look, the world has gone after him, right? The people are going out to meet him. The Pharisees think the world's chasing after him. They want to crush him, right? And now, and amongst all that, there were certain Greeks, say the Greeks, all right, the Greeks, among those who came to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was at Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, this is Jesus' men, right? And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. So in amongst all the things that's taking place here, Jesus is coming in Jerusalem. People and crowds are swarming. There's a bunch of Greeks who want to have an interview, all right? But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come, and the Son of Man shall be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Jesus is days away from being crucified. Some want to kill him. Some want to make him king, right? Some uh, think he's the Messiah. Some of them don't know what to think, right? Jewish people are swarming in the street, and a bunch of Greeks want to have an interview. They want to have an exclusive with Jesus to ask him questions. And Jesus stops in the middle of all the chaos, in the middle of all these things that are swirling and happening. He stops and he gives a little mini sermon. Some of you wish I give a mini sermon, right? He gives a little mini sermon to his disciples. He's not paying attention to who wants to interview him. He's not paying attention to, to everything that's swirling around him, those who want to kill him. 
He says, if you really want to follow me, if you believe that I'm the son of God, if you believe that, that I am the one, the Messiah who is coming, if you believe that I am savior of the world, it's going to take more than just showing up with a palm branch, right? And shaking a palm branch. It's going to be more than a wave. Now, that's my interpretation. It's going to be more than a wave. It's going to be more than waving a branches and, and, and laying them on the street. He says, because just a wave... How many know just a wave can mean a lot of different things, right? If we just give somebody a wave, I just got a wave, right? How many know that can mean a lot of different things? Eric went like this to me, right? We can give away. If I go like this, what's that mean? Hello, right? What if I go like this? Goodbye, right? That can be super trivial. That doesn't mean anything in particular. It could mean a lot, right? If I'm laying palm branches, probably if you come to my house and I ran out and I threw palm branches down, thank you, right? Good timing. Uh, if I threw the palm branches down and I threw my coat down and I bowed before you, how many think that was weird, first of all, right? But if you did that, right, that would have a whole different meaning to it, right? A wave can mean a lot of different things. It can be super trivial. It can mean hello. It could be goodbye. It could be the motorcycle wave, right? How many know there's a motorcycle wave? If you're, if you're riding a bike, you don't, you don't go like this. First of all, it's wind resistance. You'll dislocate your shoulder, okay? That's probably why they do it down low. But if you're riding a bike, they do this. They'll just go, hey, right? That means to another biker, I see you, all right? I acknowledge you. That does not mean they want to name their firstborn child after you, all right? That's not what it means. It can mean a lot of different things. A Princess Diana wave is look at me, look at me, look at me. Right? There's a lot of things with the wave. Uh, I, the other day, I, I came up to a construction site, and, and when I pulled up, they, they, of course, they stopped me, right? They had the sign, and, and then there was people waving me on. Did you ever meet a, a, an angry construction person? You ever run into one of those? Man, he started waving me on. I, I thought I offended him. He's like, come on, right? Come on. Like, I didn't know whether to floor it, you know, or stop and talk to him for a little bit. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he got a bad call right before all that. Seriously, he, did, he seriously did that, all right? There's all kind of ways. Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, and, and, and some are laying palm branches, and they're waving, and some are shouting in recognition. But most are looking at Jesus for a reason. They're looking at him for what they can get out of this guy. What's he going to bring to the table? Uh, is he going to deliver me from Rome? Is he going to meet my need? Is he going to heal me? What's he going to do? And Jesus was telling those closest to him, those right around him, he says, guys, this is more than a wave. It's more than a palm branch. It's more than a nod. It's more than a tip, right? A tip of the hat is way more than that. If you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me into death. How many know that's a lot more than a wave? That's much more than a wave. He says this in 23, but Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus was referring to himself. He was, he was talking in a physical sense for himself. He knew that he was about to go and die on a cross. He would go into the grave, and he knew he was going to rise up three days later. He was talking about that in physical. But he was turning to his disciples, and he's saying, if you're going to follow me, there's some things that have to die in your life. He wasn't talking in the physical. He was talking about spiritual things. There's some things you're going to have to lay down. There's some things, if you're going to produce, if you're going to become uh, productive in the kingdom of God, if you're going to be productive in following me as Lord and Savior, there's some things, if you want to follow Jesus, we got to put some things in the ground. Do you know that? It's true. We do. I didn't give many amens for that. All right? It's way more than a wave. 
It's way more than a simple acknowledgement. It's more, more than a tip of the hat. It's even more than laying palm branches and throwing our coats down and saying, Hosanna. It's more than that. For Jesus, um, you know, it was a physical thing. But for us, we got to die to some things. And, and one of the things we got to die from or die to or put in the ground is sin. It really is. First Peter 2.24 says this, whoever, he, whoever, uh, he himself bore our sins. It's talking about Jesus here. He uh, or who? Come on, back up. <laughs> who himself? I, I saw a little talk to myself right there out loud. All right. <laughs> who himself bore our sins in our own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Sin's an immoral act considered to be a transgression against the divine God, right? A holy God. We sang about it this morning. Sin's acting in rebellion. It's, it's going against what God has spoke. So if I'm following Jesus, it's way more than a wave. It's, it's way more than just doing this. It's saying, I got to lay some things down. I, I, gotta, I can't do some of the things that I used to do. I can't participate in some of the things I used to participate in because it's sin, right? I, I, I'm going to, and I thought about this. I thought, well, I could make a list of them, but how many know there's a lot, all right? We could spend a lot of time listing out what sin is and what it isn't. Uh, but we're following Jesus. It's more than a wave. It's laying down. It's burying that sin. And I thought it was, I thought about this, I thought, I'll just give you one. I'll just give you one example of what I'm talking about. If we're following Jesus, do you know that we got to lay down speaking falsely against somebody else? Now listen, that, that's a, a fancy way of saying a lying about somebody else, right? If I'm following Christ, Jesus said, we're not supposed to speak falsely against our brother. We're not supposed to speak falsely against our neighbor. We're not supposed to do any of that. And we're not supposed to tell a lie about anybody. And he said, if you do that, if you're following me, you got to bury that thing. You got you to put that thing away. First John 3, 4 says, whoever commits, and if you look at other translations, it says practices. Say practices. All right. Whoever practices sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices, say practices, all right, righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Now, this scripture is not talking about perfection because none of us are perfect in here. All right, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about what we practice. What are we practicing? You know, what are we practicing? Is it more than just a wave? What are we practicing? What are we doing? Practice is about what you do on the regular. Do you know that? If you, if you practice an instrument, like, I always get a little, a little envy because I watch all these people up here playing the instruments. And, and I always wanted to. I took lessons for about a year. I still stunk. So I just quit, all right? Sometimes you just got to know, you gotta know, your, you gotta know your limitations, right? But I watch them, and, and they've practiced, right? And if you practice playing an instrument, what do they call you? A musician, right? If you practice, if you practice this sport and you get really good at sport, they call you an athlete, right? If you practice lying, what do they call you? A liar, Right? Come on. There's some things you got to put in the ground. 
Because if you're practicing them, right? If you're practicing them, you're, you're, you're going against what God speaks. And Jesus was telling, Jesus was getting ready to leave. He was getting ready to go and he's telling his disciples, listen, you got to put some things in the ground. You, gotta, you, you can't do some things the same way. And sin's one of them, but there's other things too, right? There's things outside of sin. And verse 8 says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. It's really more than just a wave. I quit practicing sin. Jesus, I want you to think about this for a moment because Jesus died. Uh, the reason Christ went to the cross, he died to take away our sin. He died to cover our sin. Uh, we can't do that on our own. It's all work of grace by him. And, and he, it's his blood who washes us clean. And he says, just don't practice it. Don't go back to it. And I, as I thought about that, I thought, well, what, is this, what a slap in the face to God, right? If he literally gives his life to take my sin away, and I just say, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway, Right? I was going to practice that anyhow, right? He gave his life for this. First John 1, 8 says, for we, for we say, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, that's why he tells us to confess, right? When we, when we sin, when we mess up, when we do something against God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Man, when I was growing up, my parents taught me to confess when I sinned. When I messed up, I knew I needed to go to God in prayer, and I needed to confess what I did and, and let Christ's blood take care of that and wash me clean. We don't talk about that much anymore, right? Confession. Confession, right? There's, there's freedom in confession when you speak it up, right? And I'm not going to tell you to turn and confess to somebody right now. That's not what I'm doing, all right? But there's freedom in confession, when I come to God, confess, right? He knows we're going to get it wrong. He knows we're going to mess up. But he is the provision. He was the remedy. He was the one who brought us back into and reconciled us to God and took away sin. But it doesn't mean I should practice it, right? We correct our kids, right? If we got our kids, how many correct your kid if your kid keeps messing up over and over and over again, right? Yeah, how many love that? Yeah. <laughs> we love it, right? You love it when your kid just keeps doing the same thing over and over. Practicing rebellion. It's awesome, right? Yeah, right? How many know you give them a good talking to? You go into the power stance, right? And you have a good talking with them, right? 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Man, when I get it wrong, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's making it right. If I, all I've got to do, it's just so simple. I just come and confess. He's the remedy of sin for sin we got to put sin in the ground put it in the ground practicing sin now i know we're going to mess up i know we're going to get it wrong uh yeah i had to confess just i confessed two weeks ago to you that, that i got it all messed up and i got it all wrong and god kind of crushed me and i had to go confess i said lord I, I messed this up royally right because following jesus is more than just a wave can i give you a super sobering verse on Palm Sunday. Sometimes there's some verses that just sober you up completely. This is super sobering. Hebrews 10, 26 is a good one to write down. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That was the old law. That was previous. How much worse punishment do you suppose he will 
be thought worthy of who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's more than just a wave. It's more than just a... Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to put some stuff in the ground. you got to bury some things. Jesus was about to go to the cross, and he's hitting his disciples with this mini-sermon. He's not paying attention to all the swirl, all the stress, all the things that are taking place, all those who are out to kill him. He stops and he gives them a sermon. And he says, put it in the ground, guys, by the way, right? Put it in the ground. John 12, 25 says, he said this also, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor, right? He'll honor him. I wonder if all the people standing along the road that day, right, grabbing the palm branches and throwing them on the ground, I wonder if Jesus would have stopped and gave this mini-sermon to them. How many of them would have continued to lay palm you know, palm branches on the ground. If he would have said these words, he said these to his disciples, but what if he'd have said this to the crowd that day? How many of them would have been waving, right? And yelling, Hosanna. Uh, you know, I, I, I think about those things because it's more than just the wave. It's way more than that, right? He said, I hate my life in this world, so I keep it for eternity. Wow. I know you're like, it's Palm Sunday, preacher. Couldn't you preach something nice, right? <laughs> something fun. Something kind of pastel in color. You know, I mean, we do that around Easter, right? It's going to be pastel in color. What did Jesus mean by this? I mean, this is intense, right? This almost seems, when Jesus says this, it almost seems over the top. It feels a bit extreme. As we, I mean, look at God's word and think, man, that kind of seems extreme, right? I mean, hating my life in this world, hating my, uh, hating my life, because the world tells us the complete opposite. Right? The world says, do everything you can to make sure that you love this life that you're in. Right, Make sure that you do everything to keep yourself happy. Make sure you do everything to keep yourself healthy and comfortable so that you love this life that you're in. Make sure you, that everything you're doing is benefiting you and, and, and so that you're healthy and happy. Right, Always love the skin you're in. Amen? Come on. I don't even know what commercial that's from. Love the skin you're in. Indulge yourself. Love your life. No, hopefully nobody sues me for that, all right? Jesus comes with this radical message to his disciples. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I read that, and I'm thinking, man, that's intense. Like, what does that mean? And the more I began to look and the more I began to peel back, I realized that Jesus was saying, he was looking at his disciples, the ones he trained, he says, love your life with me so much that you hate your life without me. Love your life so much with me that you would hate your life without me. Love your life so much with me that you would hate your life without me. Listen, are we willing to, to release anything, put in the ground anything that's going to separate me from God, right? Anything that's back there that's not of him and love my life so much with him that I'm willing just to let go of anything else that's not of him in my life. Am I willing to put him in, in, in a place where it's just everything that I do, he's in the middle of it? Right, he's in. Have you ever seen somebody that loves something so much they just kind of put everything else aside? It almost seems like they hate everything else, right? You get a teenager that falls in love for the first time, oh, 
right? They, they, they meet the young man or the young lady, and they're ah, and it's like nobody else exists in the whole world. Like, everybody else died, all right? It's just those two. Right? They have no clue what's going on around them. They, right? they just, uh, and I know most of them are in love with the idea of being in love. I understand that. All right. But it's just this, this, you know, the bells and the whistles. I've seen all that. I've seen that with sports, man. There's some guys that get obsessed with sports and, and it's like they hate everything else around them because something's taking place on the field right? It could be a hobby. Some people are like that with the job. They'll get, they're, they're workaholics, and, and it's like everything else disappears. But Jesus is saying, we got to love, we need to love our life with Jesus so much that everything else almost seems like we hate it, right? We take him with everything. I don't go a single place without Jesus. It should almost make me cringe if I think about going anywhere without Christ, going and doing anything without him and bringing him along. Amen? That's true. At the beginning of this message, I told you that Jesus was in Bethany, and he was visiting some friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I think Mary got this right. I really do. Uh, I think Mary uh, understood, and and she's a picture of exactly what I'm uh, I'm saying. And if you'd stand and and the musicians come, I, I see Mary at the feet of Jesus. And to do what she did, right, First of all, to do what she did, to sit on the ground at somebody's feet. First of all, I don't like messing with people's feet, right? Anybody with me on that, right? Right. right. Come on, this is real. To sit down and, and, and to sit at someone's feet and then to take something that expensive, a year's wages, and to break it open and to pour it on his feet and then wipe it with her hair. Do you know, I think she, I, I think for Mary, uh, she hated anything else that didn't have, it was all about how much she loved Jesus in this life. He brought her brother back to life. She knows that he's the Messiah. She knows that he's the coming king. She knows that he is the savior. And everything else disappeared. And in that moment, she doesn't care what anyone thinks. She doesn't care how she looks. She doesn't care the, the repercussions of what somebody will say later. Uh, somebody like Judas, who was right, complaining about the whole thing, she didn't care. She just loved her life with Christ that much. And everything else would faded away. Do I love my life with Christ, right? Enough that almost everything else looks like I hate it. I know those are strong words. But man, when my kids were growing up, you weren't even allowed to say it. We didn't even let them say hate in the house. They weren't allowed to say it. But you understand do we love our life with Christ that much? We're coming into Easter. We're coming into a time, right, when, when, when we, we really celebrate what Jesus did. And I got to ask myself the question, do I have any part of my life that I could say that if I don't take Christ there, I don't know. How many know you stay away from what you hate, right? If you hate milk, how many of you drink milk if you hate it? No. You stay away from it, right? You shove it to the back of the fridge. You dump it when nobody's looking. Cluck, 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 all right? Done. You, you hate it. You stay away from that thing. Come on. You just, it's after, follow on Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We're getting ready to go into Easter. I want you to think every slice of your life. I know that's a lot. That's a lot to pan through in your mind, but you can do it. I want you to think through all the different slices of your life. Maybe the different categories. That's going to look different for all of us because we're all in different stages of life. We're in different places in life. We're in different um, job situations. We're in different.
family structures. We're in all these different places. I want you to think about all the slices. And I want you to think, do you got any place that, man, you would absolutely hate it if you didn't take Jesus there with you? Because there shouldn't be any slice of life that you put off to the side. You may have to bury something this morning. You might have to put something in the ground. And you need to take Jesus everywhere you go. Every slice that you're in. Lord, we come to you today. I thank you for, God, those who are in the house. God, those who are listening online. Lord, on this Palm Sunday, Lord, we do celebrate, God, the fact that you are King and you are Lord and Savior. And I don't want one slice of my life, Lord, to be without you. Lord, if I eliminate you from any slice, God, if it's in my thought life, God, I pray that you get a hold of my thought life. I, I pray, God, that I would capture my thoughts. And Lord, God, that I would get you in the middle of my thoughts. Lord, if it's in my family life, God, if it's in my relationships with my friends, God, if it's in the relationship at school, God, if it's in my work, Lord, if it's in my play, God, if it's in any slice, God, anything that I'm doing, God, I want to make sure I walk in with you. And God, I want to make sure, Lord, that I hate my life without you in any slice of my life, Lord. And God, if there's something that is separating me, if there's something there that's keeping you out and just me in, God, help me to bury that thing. Help me to put it in the ground. And Lord, so I can be productive in you. So my life produces fruit. And we just give you glory. We give you praise. And we give you honor. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to this message from Lifehouse Church. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with us as we love God, love people every day, visit our website at www.lifehousecog.com.